Hello and welcome to the Patreon bonus podcast, which I am now renaming because Patreon bonus podcast just does not sound that cool. So from here on out, we are now calling this the alternate timeline. So welcome to the alternate timeline. Uh, I am going to talk about the dollars for data episode today and um, let's get into it. This week's episode of Flash Forward is about this proposal that we should create some kind of method by which we, you and me, sell our data to companies like Google or Facebook or whoever. This argument has been around for a long time. I have been getting pitches about this argument for years and years and years, and so I figured that we might as well talk about it on the show. So um, I'm going to start with a couple things that I cut from the episode, and then we'll get into some other behind-the-scenes stuff to talk about. So um, the first thing I will say is that, as you can probably tell from the episode, um, my interview with Richie Ituaru was um, was sort of an interesting one. I think that he went into it thinking that I was going to be a really easy PR conversation where he would just kind of say his thing and I wouldn't ask him any hard questions. Um, And that's not what happened. Obviously, I wound up asking him a lot of questions about the critiques of his company. um, And he wasn't super happy about that. Uh, I feel that the episode was really fair to Richie. I think I gave him a lot of time to make his case and respond to some of the critiques of his, you know, whole thing. Um, I will also say between us, uh, that I did not include a lot of stuff that Richie said that was either sort of like flatly untrue um, or honestly kind of offensive. Um, You know, in these kinds of interviews, it's always a little bit of a dance where you're trying to figure out, you kind of have to pick your battles, right? So, you know, if Richie says something that isn't true, but isn't like really that important, because I know I want to ask him other harder questions, I kind of would let that go. Um, So, you know, for example, he said something about the history of privacy that was just like not correct. And I just didn't, it didn't seem worth it to fight about that because I wanted to get into the critiques of his specific company um, and not about sort of like more generally the history of privacy. So um, yeah, so it wasn't really worth spending time on the episode debunking a bunch of the stuff like that that he said because First of all, it was clearly false, but also it sort of like didn't really have anything to do directly with the proposal that we were talking about. But I also, you know, did kind of want to signal to you listeners that this is a person who sort of has really specific ideas and is not necessarily someone whose ideas I would endorse sort of across the board, someone who you shouldn't necessarily take at face value. Um, And that's always kind of a a delicate, you know, needle to thread, a delicate dance to do. So that's actually why I left in the parts where Richie called certain arguments high IQ and low IQ. Um, I could have edited that out and just had his answer, but I wanted to leave them in kind of as like a tell to you, hopefully. Um... I did think about popping in with narration at that point to kind of like hammer home the fact that that way of describing things is pretty gross. I mean, IQ is like a test and a concept that has this long and weird and dangerous history that is often used to hurt marginalized folks, particularly people of color and disabled people. But I also didn't want to spend too much time on it and like really pull us out of what was going on. So I didn't wind up saying anything explicitly in the episode, but I did leave it in so you hear him say it so that you can kind of hopefully get a sense of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's I don't know, maybe I should have said something, you know, maybe I should have 
been more explicit. I'm curious what people think. But that's kind of this sort of interesting editorial challenge I had, um, you know, with with this. Um, at the end of our interview, when we had stopped officially recording, I told Richie that I was going to be talking to Sarah Zhang for the episode. Um, and, and in Sarah's piece that she wrote for the New York Times, she did reference Richie's company and actually had interviewed him for that piece. And when I told him that I was going to talk to Sarah, he got... Uh, very mad, did a little bit of yelling. <laughs> um, and we actually ended the call on this somewhat bizarre note where he was like telling me that he hoped that my episode would be an attempted takedown because that would be good press for him in some way. Um, I don't think that this episode is a takedown. I think that I was very fair to him and let him kind of say what he had to say about these arguments. Um, I think a lot of other places wouldn't have given him that amount of time but we will see how he reacts to the episode he has not responded to my email yet about the episode being up and you know like maybe he'll never listen and maybe he'll never respond who knows um I you know it's always hard to tell but that sort of you know comes with the job of being a journalist I guess um I actually had a similar conundrum with Sergio Canavero who I talked you know I talked about this a little bit on that bonus episode um on the tran head transplant episode you know Sergio also did a lot of yelling in our interview um and making claims and comments that are either like ridiculous or problematic in some way um and I do try to only include the things from the interviews that are relevant to the episode and sort of like worth addressing um if you heard the like raw tape of a lot of interviews that I do there's so many things I cut because like it's just not worth getting into it um so yeah, that's a little bit of behind the scenes on how these kinds of maybe slightly more adversarial interviews go. Um, you know, for better or for worse, as a woman who's reported on technology for a long time, I'm like pretty used to being yelled at by men on the phone. So it doesn't really bother me. Honestly, I like kind of find it funny sometimes um, because it's just like silly that, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of the time that doesn't make it into the episode because it just doesn't feel worth it to like stoop to that level and like address any of like the weird other stuff so I'll just like deal with the ideas and deal with the you know sort of like information and and try to kind of you know take the high road I suppose um and I will say you know for flash forward at least most of the time I don't interview people like that I have guests on who I admire or find really interesting you know even if I don't agree with everything they say I sort of feel like they are coming at this in good faith and you know like we can have like a reasonable conversation but, you know, of course, for some of these ideas about the future, it does mean talking to people who I sort of like fundamentally disagree with um, or who I think are like not quite not coming at this from sort of like a place that I um, sort of find quite so admirable. Um, and it's always an interesting dance to try to figure out how to handle that in editing and kind of be fair, but also, you know, make it clear that some of these things are not good or real or whatever it is. Um, okay, now on to something much more fun. Let's talk about Aglo, the town. Um, so I mentioned on the episode that I sort of spent a lot of time trying to confirm some of the elements of this story, especially the court case that gets referenced a lot. And I mentioned this, but, you know, sometimes when you read something, one way to, one sort of red flag for a story like this is if everywhere you read about it, the details are almost exactly the same. Right. That means that like lots of people are sort of like reblogging one story or regurgitating one story. And, you know, maybe that story is true, but it's like, you know, where are the additional details? Where are the other things to say about this? So I wound up kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole 
I did locate some old maps from the time, from the 30s, and confirmed that it did show up and it's on these replicated maps and it sort of spreads from there. So I feel confident saying that Aglo was created by Otto and put on the map and then copied. Um, I also did eventually find an article from 1957 in the New York Times that talks about Aglo in sort of like a tourism capacity, sort of like driving past Aglo. Um, There's also a really interesting New Yorker story from 1935 about Otto Lindbergh. um, And it starts with this incredible sentence. It says, these are the heady days of spring when motorists lay in a stock of fresh new roadmaps, which gradually slide down behind the cushions and get lost. It's like one of those sentences that you couldn't, you wouldn't write today because like people generally are not drowning in roadmaps. Um, I'm going to link to the story in the show notes. It's worth reading. It's pretty short. Um, and it, it just feels like this snapshot of like the New Yorker in 1935 in this like very specific way. But I do want to read to you the last paragraph because it is just very funny to me. Um, Okay, so it says this. Civic-minded citizens are always complaining to the general drafting company that their town isn't shown on a map or isn't in big enough type. These complaints are always investigated and, if justified, a correction is made. Linden, New Jersey, for example, got larger type by asking for it. Once in a while, peevish hamlets which have been ignored on Saucony maps threaten suit or boycott, but it never comes to much. One time, a man wrote in to Mr. Lindbergh suggesting that he be reimbursed for damage to his car, resulting from having taken a road marked in good condition on the map when it was in terrible condition and the man went into the ditch. He was mollified by the explanation that the local highway commission had promised that the road would be fixed by the time the map was out. Right now, Mr. Lindbergh's big worry is Lake Matamuskeet in North Carolina. It's linked up in some way with a big drainage project, and sometimes it's there, and sometimes it isn't. This is positively Mr. Lindbergh's worst problem at the moment. So this story does not mention Aglo at all, and it doesn't mention the court case. Um, So that's sort of interesting. Um, I will say interest in Aglo increased dramatically in 2014 when Google decided to take it off the Google Maps, arguing that it sort of wasn't really a town. And in many of those stories about that, they don't reference the court case specifically, which suggests to me that fact checkers at places like the New York Times or the New Yorker couldn't find the specific court case either. Um, It is possible that Otto's general drafting company simply accused Rand McNally in a letter and that maybe Rand McNally responded in a letter and there was never really a a case that went to court. Um, It's also possible that they totally did go to court and it's just that finding court records from the 1930s is really hard to do. Um, I did send some emails to some folks who work in the New York court system to see if they could do a bit of research for me. I have not heard back. Um, If you know anyone who has access to New York state court records from the 1930s, I would love to know if this court case actually happened and if so, like what, how it went down. Um, So, you know, I don't know. That's like a very specific ask. But if you have that kind of resource, please let me know. (laughs) Um, The last thing I'll say is that I do know that John Green wrote a book based around the idea of paper towns and Aglo specifically. I did not mention it in the episode just because there's only so much that I can say in any given section. But yes, I am very aware that that book exists. 
Okay, another thing I mentioned in the episode but want to say a little bit more about is this question of greed and human behavior. So, um, you know, this question of selfishness and the nature of humans goes back forever, right? You know, Socrates talks about it. Lots and lots of philosophers talk about it. John Locke talks about it. You know, this is this big question that people have had about people for a long time. Um, Are we fundamentally greedy, selfish creatures? Um, And the answer seems to be no, based on a lot of research. Um, In fact, humans are so altruistic that there is an entire subfield of research trying to figure out why. Compared to most other animals, we are far more likely to act for the good of the group, um, even compared to like chimpanzees. And figuring out why that is, is something that people study. Um, There are all kinds of studies from all over the world that show that when humans are set up to communicate and collaborate, they do better and they pick those options over self-interest. So to say that we are inherently all driven by greed ignores a lot of this research. But there's also this interesting wrinkle where there is this concept in sort of social psychology where if a lot of people believe something to be true. It kind of enforces that behavior. So if you hear over and over and over again that humans are inherently greedy and selfish, you will behave more greedily and more selfishly. And so I think that that actually is a really interesting idea when you think about people who might work in the tech industry, right, where the leaders of the tech industry often say things like humans are fundamentally greedy and selfish. And that saying that over and over again and sort of taking that to be a truth actually does influence the behavior of the people who work in that field. Um, So it's sort of this self-perpetuating fallacy um, that sort of winds up being more true than it actually is because you keep hearing it over and over again. So, you know, what would that mean if we then shifted that conversation within tech and sort of shifted the conversation to be like, no, actually humans are pretty cooperative and humans are pretty altruistic. What, what impact would having that repetition have on tech? I don't know. Hopefully something good. Um, I mean, I don't think that would solve all the problems, but I think it would be a nice place to start. Um, The other thing I didn't get into in the episode, but that is connected to this, is that Richie argues um, or argued in our interview that data is a resource that is going to be inherently mined, right? And in the interview, he talks about this idea that you've probably heard before, that data is the new oil, right? Um, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Richie says it in the interview. I didn't use that tape. Um, because I didn't really want to get into it. But there's a lot to say about this analogy. um, And there are some really interesting and smart scholars who have critiqued it from all sorts of perspectives. But just to sort of sum it up, uh, first of all, the way that we've dealt with oil is probably not a great model to emulate. I will say that. But second, and probably more importantly, um, data is not like oil in some very important ways. Uh, Oil is a physical commodity that has to be extracted from the ground. Um, All of the oil that will ever exist, functionally for us at least, does currently. It is not being made at a rate that could renew this resource, which is why it's not a renewable source of energy, right? That's what that word means. Um, Data, on the other hand, is being created literally all the time. Oil can only be used once, while data can be reused over and over again. You and I can use the same data at the same time, Um, but, you know, like I would love to see you try to use the same barrel of oil in two different places or even for two different things at the same time. Um, So when people say that data is the new oil, they often mean that whoever controls the data has the power, right? That's often what people are talking about. Um, It's this new resource, quote unquote, that can convey power. And that is often true, but when you start to think about 
how to change that and how to respond to that, again, the analogy sort of breaks down and becomes unhelpful because the way you respond to those two things and the forces that drive those two things are actually pretty different. Um, so I would just say like if you ever hear someone saying that like data is the new oil, you might want to be sort of skeptical of that claim. Um, I will link to more reading on that in the show notes. Okay, that is all the behind the scenes stuff that I did not include in the episode. Um, and I hope that you liked it and found it interesting. <laughs> okay, and then always at the end, we end with a little secret. So some of you already know this, but um, I have a brain that doesn't quite function the same way many other people's brains function. So um, I am autistic. And for me, one of the big ways that that manifests is that I have trouble with certain elements of um, like executive functioning and for me specifically following instructions. So I am very bad at following instructions. Um, it's like a, I don't know, I feel like I have a black hole in my brain where that like process might go, um, which got me into a lot of trouble when I was a kid. But now one of the main ways that I see that in my like daily life, now that I have sort of a lot of systems set up to help myself do that, um, is that like cooking is a mystery to me. I genuinely like cannot cook, especially not from a recipe. Baking is definitely out of the question. Um, any recipe that says like, meanwhile, you know, do this or like while blank is happening, do this other thing. It's just like there's no chance that I'm going to successfully execute that. Um, but I'm also very stubborn. So even if I mess up the recipe, um, I always finish and, and eat it. Um, which means that for lunch yesterday, I had a like fully black charred grilled cheese sandwich because I had forgotten that I had started making grilled cheese and just like walked away. And, uh, turns out if you leave it on for a long time, it burns. <laughs> I mean, it wound up being fine. Like char's flavor. So it was, it was fine. It's fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> okay, that is all for this episode. Uh, I hope you have a happy Friday and I will be back in your ear holes soon. Bye.